Good morning, afternoon, evening to you, whatever the time may be, wherever you're listening to it, it's in this big wide world of ours. This is the podcast we call Right on Track, where we talk all things Thomas the Tank Engine and friends. And we are now up to season seven of this podcast. I, I can't believe it, honestly. Uh, I, I might call. <laughs> My name is, of course, Parry. I'm joined by Connor and Denim. Hello to you, Connor, and hello to you, Denim. Hello to you, Parry. Hello. How's it going? Very well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been it's been a, a solid break, you know? Very, very long break, yes. But we, we, had our, we had our Christmas and New Year's, and now we're back up on our feet. Oh, yes. Or sitting down, in this case. That's it. Oh, no, 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 I'm at my standing desk. Are you now? I'm not really, I'm sitting down. But, (laughs) yes, uh, we are covering Series 7 of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, or Thomas and Friends. Yes, as it's known now. Yes, in the show's history. Don's Mm -hmm. new logo. Yes, and uh, in the US, it even receives a new title sequence. So, so it, it, it's a big era of changes here in the show. In fact, Series 7 is absolutely massive in terms of what it does. It's mm-hmm. a transition, really, between 6 and uh, 8 because of this being the first series fully produced by Hit Entertainment. Mm, it very much feels like the end of an era. Yeah. And uh, speaking of ends of eras, it's the last series to be directed by David Mitten before he passed away. Yes, oh. it is. Uh, it is also um, the first series of many things. Hmm. Uh, it's the first series where in the US, uh, Robert Hartsthorne composed all the music. Mike and Junior would still compose music for the UK and international releases for now. Mm. Uh, and it's also the first series where Jocelyn Stevenson is the executive producer who at the mm-hmm. time was the chief creative officer at Hit Entertainment mm. uh, who, and I'm only mentioning this stuff now because she's been involved in a bunch of, a bunch of cool stuff she was one of the creators of Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock worked on shows such as Bob the Builder and the Magic School Bus so she's got a lot of experience under her belt uh, that mm. really... Like, like going into series, you can sort of see... If you know things about Fraggle Rock, Magic School Bus, Bob the Builder, you can see those sort of influences in it. Mm, but will those influences benefit the show or will it be their detriment? Yes. Of course they will. Uh, mm. To... Uh, Benefit and detriment and so on. Uh, benefit is in series six in the US dub. It's the first series that Michael Brandon was the full narrator, not including f- a few little narrations that he did in series six. So he's officially come in now and replaced Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And there are also four new writers for this series. Uh, that joined on Series 7, three of them only writing in Series 7. So you've got Lee Pressman, who joined in Series 7. Then you've got George Tarrier, Polly Churchill, and Jan Page, who only wrote stories in Series 7. And that's it. Am I right in saying that Lee Pressman would then later return to the CGI series? Uh, yes, you would be correct. He stuck around for a long time after Series 7. Uh, he returned in Series 17 after Series 7. And then he would continue all the way until Series 22. So, uh, after this, he, he came back with a vengeance because he wrote tons of stories afterwards. Oh, he did. Yeah, he, he wrote... I thought that name looked familiar. Yeah, so we'll be seeing some of his writing here, but what good is a writer without a script consultant? Because this is the first series where Britt Allcroft is on purely as a script consultant, 
she she's no longer a producer or executive producer director she is just the script consultant here mm. which it, it, if that doesn't show you the change that the show is then i don't know what else to, to say to sort of demonstrate how the show has changed here right so well of course we'll get into more of those changes as we continue this season of the podcast but in the meantime on this very episode we are going to be talking about the first three stories from series seven uh denim remind us what they are well mr parry i'm glad you asked those stories are emily and the coaches percy gets it right and to top it all off bill ben and fergus yes I can confirm that the first one is written by one of those new writers. And that first one being, Parry? That first one is Emily and the Coaches, or, as it's alternatively titled, Emily's New Coaches. And in the clip we're about to hear, uh, Emily is being introduced to none other than Thomas the Tank Engine by Sir Topham Hatt. It was a splendid day on the island of Sodor. Thomas was taking Annie and Clarabel back to the yard. A new engine had arrived and he wanted to say hello. The engine was beautiful, with shiny paintwork and a gleaming brass dome. Thomas, meet Emily. Hello. Hello to you. Emily? Collect your coaches, please. You and your driver must learn the line. Yes, sir, she answered. Yes, a new engine is on the island, and uh, most notably, uh, the first TV series Steam female character. Yes. Well, that's yes. very much true. Oh wait, no, you said TV. Ser- uh, t- I said TV. I said TV series. The first female steam engine being Lady. That was, of course, in the feature-length film Thomas the Magic Railroad. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could say it's the first female tender engine. There's no true. question. There. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hmm. And look, may, may we get into that just quickly? Because Emily is. Unique not only because she's female, but because she's got this very peculiar shape. She's a Caledonian engine with a huge tender, and she's got a 422 wheel setup. So she's got two, uh, sorry, four uh, wheels at the front. Then she's got two huge driving wheels in the middle. They're like 76 inches in height or thereabouts. And then she's got. Uh, two more wheels behind that it's yeah very very distinctive appearance she's got yes and i've got all the details about emily here she Ooh, yes. is a great northern railway g3 sterling single mm-hmm. uh with her basis being built between 1894 and 1895 making her the oldest standard gauge engine in the show so far have been oh. built before edward at the latest uh, for wow. about a year She's painted emerald green with yellow lining And bronze fittings mm. a- a- And After this Emily would very much become A main cast member Very much being the uh, I hate to use the word token But considering that there isn't other, There are no others At this point uh, Female cast members mm. She became the main token female character of the show Mm, so planting mavis who previously held that role from season three onwards uh yeah she wasn't too much of a main but considering how the stories back then were fairly spread out yeah yes that's true she, she definitely became the prominent female figure in thomas Hmm, because if you look at a lot of the promotion and the marketing, they really heavily lent on the fact that Mavis was in there because up until Emily's introduction, she was one of the very, very few female engines working on the railway. The other, of course, being Daisy. Yeah, uh, there was even a newspaper article, I believe, that came out around the time of Series 3, Series 4 that spoke about the female characters of the show. It made it actually a really big thing. Mm-hmm. 
so it, it, it's it, it seems to be a thing in Thomas and how every time there is a female character, it very much is pushed to the front. Which, mm-hmm. like, I, I'm absolutely all for equality and so on. Don't get me wrong here, please. But it, it sometimes is very forced. I feel sometimes. Mm. Uh, but this story, Emily's New Coaches, is nothing like that. Emily's New Coaches is just a... It's a story. It's by Jan Page, one of the new writers who only came on board for Series 7. And it talks about Emily arriving on Sodor, then accidentally... Well, not accidentally, but taking Annie and Clarabelle out for her day. And everyone getting mad at her because she's taken Thomas's coaches. And then she later saves Oliver from being hit by Thomas after Oliver mm-hmm. broke down. And at the end of the day, uh, she's given her own coaches, uh, which Sir Topham ha- had Thomas collect from the docks. Mm. And in which Thomas believes that... Annie and Clarabelle are being taken away from him and he thinks he's being uh, given two new coaches and he's uh, not very fond of the idea. Oh, yeah, and neither is everyone else. Throughout the story, you get people such as... People. You get engines uh, <laughs> such as Percy and Edward all just j- just glaring evilly at, uh, at Emily. I wouldn't say evilly. It's more kind of distastefully. Yeah, okay, distasteful is probably a better word. Because I think Edward wouldn't be uh, malicious in any form. He's probably more concerned, if anything, that uh, Emily is taking Annie and Clarabelle and knows how attached Thomas is to them. Mm. And Mm. and it's only when Oliver tells Emily that those are Thomas's coaches does she realise why everyone looked cross. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting story, this. I, I know I say all of them are interesting, but this one here, I feel, does something where almost all the characters, all of them, are being a bit negative. All of them are doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like... Emily mm-hmm. took the coaches, but, you know, it, it was a mistake, but still. And then everyone's just sort of being a little bit rude to her. And and, and and then it just comes to a conclusion when Emily saves Oliver. So it's, yeah, it's a weird story. I reckon it's set in the summer and everyone is hot and bothered. That would That would make sense, yes. You mentioned that, and, like, I mean, on the note of summer, there's a brilliant summer shot, stunning, of the watermill in this episode. And a similar shot is Echo throughout Series 7. What's notable about it, apart from a new watermill model and set, is that it's taken from an another angle of the watermill that we don't normally see. Normally, we're looking more so focused on the bridge and the building. But this new angle is taken from sort of behind the building. So you get giant imposing shots of the engines crossing on the bridge above. And it just looks so beautiful, especially with the sort of summer lighting around it. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, an issue I'd like to raise is that although it has introduced a new character here, I, I don't think... In this story, Emily is made out to be a particularly compelling one because we see in the introduction to other characters, they've all got flaws. Like, for instance, uh, Oliver in uh, Oliver Owns Up, he's shown to his hubris gets the better of him. He's getting all boastful and thinks that he's capable of doing anything and he's brought back down to earth. And similar with Mavis's introduction, she is a really keen and hard worker, but she thinks she knows everything and that's her undoing. Whereas with Emily here, she, she's just affable. She's pleasant. She's pr- pretty selfless from what we can gather, but she's got no real f- flaws or 
complexities to her. And I just feel that had they applied those to her character, you know, this would be a much more interesting narrative. And this is a curse which follows Emily throughout the show. Like, from here onwards, there's really nothing that, apart from her appearance, that identifies or distinguishes Emily from the other engines on Sodor. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, throughout a lot of Series 7, Emily is seen as... I I would describe her as an older sister figure. Mm Mm-hmm. Where she steps in and goes, hey guys, just letting you know... She's the mediator. Yeah, yeah, she, she's a mediator. That's a brilliant way to do it. And she doesn't get so much of a character flaw until Series 8, uh, Thomas and Emily in the Snowplow. But even then... Very minor. Yeah, her, her main character flaw that she develops is that she's a bit bossy. Which I think should be amped up more. Yeah, it should be amped up more, but... And and, and this may be a, a weird complaint, but I don't think that that was the right floor to take with what is very much becoming the central female character of the show. They did do it well in Excellent Emily... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they've they demonstrate it well. Enough about uh, Emily. Um, the accident in the episode with Oliver. Yes, potential accident. A near miss. Mm, you you could uh, call it an incident. So the incident with Oliver. What has happened is that uh, as Emily is out looking for Oliver. Uh, signal and flag down and go that he hasn't passed the block, the signal, which I love because they're acknowledging that that is how railway practices work. It's, oh, I love that. I absolutely love that kind of real life movement in it. Uh, And it turns out that he's run out of coal, water, fuel, and and he's now stuck in the most ex machina place possible. And he, he is right there on the crossroads. And, and just as Emily goes and sees him, she sees Thomas coming along the line and he won't be able to stop in time. The, the music that plays is wonderful here. And then she surges forward and pushes Oliver out of the road. It's not necessarily the most interesting accident, but it, it's a unique one. It's pretty tense. Oh, yeah. It's not often we see the tracks cross like that on Soda as well. Uh, no, you don't. In the Rob Gilgalia's, uh design, it was very much like that. It had the cross. It had more of a point system around it. Instead of just being two random single tracks in a yard, That that's sort of been the idea that it was stuck with. What's really interesting, though... That the story wasn't always Oliver. In, yeah, in, in the original draft and sketches, you can see the name Percy and Toby being used. In Rob Gilgalia's sketch, you can see where it says there's a drawing of Toby being pushed out of the way by Emily, but then down below it, you can see an arrow that points to Percy and Emily's line, and then ab- above it, it's got written Toby above Percy. It won't change the story, but I would have really loved to actually see Toby in that position. Yeah, we don't see enough of Toby. I mean, it's great to see Oliver back, of course, but yeah, I feel that particularly Series 6 and 7, they don't utilise Toby enough, whether it be in their stories or just as a background character. Yeah, uh, he's only got one real role in Series 7, and that's Toby's windmill, or Toby and the windmill. But we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. I wouldn't say it's a particularly strong start for Series 7. No, I agree with you, Connor. It's not a great start. Um, Denim, have you got any more to add? Um, like, I I think there's there's enough there that interests me. Like, it's one of those episodes that I clearly missed as it was airing. So, like, there was an intrigue to find out, like, where did Emily come from? And when I finally got around to it, I was like, oh, yeah, Oliver's involved. That's pretty cool. Um, 
there are bits of it as well because I remember reading the storybook for before actually watching the episode. So when Thomas says those are my coaches, give them back. I'd imagine them that delivery being a lot more kind of punchy, whereas Michael Angelus gives this very kind of soft. Those are my coaches, which is interesting. Um, overall, though, like I I like it. I don't froth it, but at the same time, it's an it's an enjoyable watch. There's some nice cinematography. The main incident is staged really nicely. I think it's good, and I think it's a great way to introduce um, Emily into the show, despite some character flaws that we did point out. Yeah, so with that, what would you rate the episode, Denim? I would happily give it a six. I think it does well, but as season openers are interesting because sometimes they're pretty hit and miss. Like, I think Thomas and Gordon, like, is the season opener but then you kind of look at something like thomas percy and nicole and it's all right it's not amazing it was star-studded but it kind of does a job of telling a story and i feel like um emily's new coaches is less of the former uh example that i gave and more of the the um the latter so i think six is a it's a decent start. Like you see, like there's been some kind of lift um, in the changes from series six to seven. Um, nice to see the original credits again. Um, but yeah, it's it doesn't have me raving for it either. Yeah, I I I wholeheartedly agree with you. I I'm I'm not raving for it. It is great to get a new engine, and like I mean, Emily's model is absolutely stunning. Um, like the colours, the actual <laughs> basing her of a Sterling signal, signal Sterling single itself is a brilliant design choice. However, it 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 doesn't capture my attention. This episode, this is not one that if I were to just pick an episode to watch, this would be one that I would go should i watch it should i not i i'd hesitate before clicking play so for that i'm gonna give it a a five i'm gonna agree with you connor i'm gonna give this one a five as well i think this story it's neither here nor there for me it's not particularly exciting nor is it a particularly uh complex story um and, you know, if it's on, I'll watch it, but um, it's not one that I yearn to see time and again. So, um, yeah, it's a 5 out of 10 to start this new series. Okay, then. And with that, we move on to our next episode, which hopefully the next episode gets it a little bit more right. Which is Percy <laughs> gets it right. And in this clip here, you're going to listen to Percy alerting the fat controller to some issues. Next, he spoke to the fat controller. Sir, sir. Not now, Percy. Thomas, you are to collect the prize bull. He's at the farm on Toby's line. But those tracks are wobbly, cried Percy. They are safe enough, said the fat controller. Bye, Percy. Nobody ever listens to me. I don't know about you guys, but that was incredibly terse from yeah. the Fat Controller there. Just him outright saying to Percy, no, not now, not interested. It's just, that is not how you run a railway. Not, not that I have ever run a railway, but if I were to run a railway, that is not how I would address my engines. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, what reason does Sir Topham Hat have to not listen to Percy or his crew. Exactly. I mean, Percy's worked on the on the railway for years. He knows the ins and outs. He knows what's safe, what isn't. So why should the Fat Controller just dismiss what he has to say outright? It's almost like you can tell that, like, the writers are trying to channel, like, the, the parents and the kid. And, like, you can tell there's that kind of feeling there. But like, it's a feeling that doesn't belong. No, there's de- I give. I definitely get that vibe too, and it feels in that sense that Percy gets it right is more a story on adults. So it's, it, the moral is more directed to adults than it is to children. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that 
the message to children is, look, if something's important and you need to raise it, then just go ahead and say it, even if people dismiss you as being silly or something like that. But even then, it, it's it's not something you should be teaching. You shouldn't have to teach children. Again, it's a moral that adults should have to be taught, yeah. I feel. But, and, like, I mean, if adults are watching this episode, sure, certainly, you know, I, I can get that. But it, it feels so, so weird for it to occur. Mm. And, and, like, I mean, even before that, you've got Percy talking to Gordon. Yes. It, it's, like, I would argue to say that aside from sort of Percy... Gordon is the most in character in this episode. Mm. And he's only there for two lines. Yes. Well, three. It, it's 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 so weird that. And and I, I I don't know what to really say about it apart from it doesn't make sense. Mm. What was Percy alerting the fat controller about Denim? Percy was alerting the Fat Controller about some loose rails on the branch line and how the foundations beneath weren't safe and he thought it was the right thing to do to tell the Fat Controller, but apparently he didn't want to bow of it. Yeah, that, absolutely. And then later in that episode, due to the Fat Controller's hubris, uh, Thomas actually crashes into a landslide. Well, what happens in the original conversation is that the Fat Controller is talking to Thomas and directing him down old uh, Toby's old line, and Percy pipes up and says, that's what I came to tell you about, the line isn't safe. And then the Fat Controller goes, the line is safe enough. And then it, we go back to the engine shed, and Percy's still worried about Thomas, and even though Gordon and James dismiss what he has to say, uh, Percy asks his driver, can we please go and look for him? And his driver is the sensible one in all of this. He goes, of course we can go and look for him. Even though it's wet and cold and it's potentially quite dangerous, we will go and search and see if Thomas is okay. And they find him in a landslide. And then when Percy pulls Thomas out of the landslide and they arrive back at the station, the fat controller goes, well done, I'm sorry, we must do a better job of listening to you in the future. Like, like, I mean, sure, but how about you just listen to everyone? Especially because Percy's complaint was the tracks are wobbly and loose, and he's like, nah, they're safe. It, it, it's extremely negligent, I'd say there. The actual accident uh, itself uh, with wobbly tracks, I can get if the stuff... If... The ground beneath the rails is loose and falling away. But what I don't really understand is why they then went with a landslide. Yes, that, that's an interesting choice, isn't it? I mean, the track's giving way. It's like they were making up their mind as the story was going. <laughs> in, in a real-world sense, if the entire mountainside is loose and falling apart, it would make sense if maybe there was a divot below the ballast before the rest of the mountain caved on top. I do get that. However, in terms of a story where you're showing there is a big gap below the rails here, it is dangerous, and then only to turn 180 and have there is now a lot of dirt on top of the rails... It, it really doesn't make sense, I feel. Mm, I, I think maybe it would have been better if, say, for example, Percy alerted the Fat Controller to land slips. Yeah, like the land's not stable. Yeah, yeah, and, th and then it wouldn't come as such a surprise when, obviously, there's a giant landslide that wipes out the track. Or maybe, as Percy is going along that line near the start of the episode, what happens is he notices just a few bits of dirt just sliding down the hill towards mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. uh, think a little bit of put upon Percy, the shots of the dirt encroaching closer to the railway line. That yes. would have been a really good way to put it. Also, side note about uh, Percy's guard at the start of the episode there. Um, he, he put the red flags and barrel 
directly on top of the accident when the like the incident site. So that you put them on top of the track. Yeah, yeah. But my main point to bring up here is that is a curved track mm. that goes round it. In reality, he should have probably put them further up or down the line. Very much so, yes. G- give engines time to stop and brake. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's a weird episode. Um, I-, I would like to add a little bit of uh, fun editing mm. uh, into the trivia here. Because... Like, they've nailed the the dreary, grey, wintry atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But they that decided, thing. as Thomas is about to crash into the landslide, we want to see his driver in the cab trying to apply the brakes. That uh, shot inside the cab is actually taken from the Series 3 episode, Thomas Gets Bumped. Oh! Which, you may remember, was in very bright sunshine. Yes. And what they've done here is they've changed that brightness, turned down the saturation, and made it grey and dreary outside. Uh-huh. And I just like that little extra reuse of shots there. It's not and it, it's not a we just reused a shot. Mm. It's we took a shot, then edited it to fit better. Yeah. And like I mean, going on what I said before we started this episode, how I segued into it. Mm feel that this would have made whilst not the best series opener it certainly would have been a better series opener yeah i I agree than emily's new coaches i I do agree with you i think that had they started with this percy and thomas centric story as they did with thomas percy and the cole you know Mm. it would have been a better way of uh introducing as the one word but easing i guess viewers into this sort of semi-new format that they're going for. Yeah, it it would be a new way to hit hit it off, and it's all characters that they already know. Correct, yeah. Especially for children, you don't want to throw something completely new at them right away. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I would argue differently. I would say that there's a later episode that's yet to be covered that would make the perfect series introduction and that would be gordon and spencer ah. Ooh, like i mean it's certainly a very good episode having said that it was because it was the first series seven episode i saw as a kid ah. um and thus was my i guess kind of stream of um reception context beginning of what series seven was in my mind well, I guess for that, should we move on to ratings? Um, yeah, I guess we should. Um, oh, oh, actually, before we do, um, there's something we haven't talked about. The bull. Yes. The prize bull. Uh, oh. t- yes. T- Thomas is sent off to collect the prize bull, and th- then mm-hmm. with it he crashes into a landslide. But he's okay at the end of the story. Yes, and the bull gets buried under all this rock and rubble and soil, and somehow he... St- more than my own jealous animals sounds. Yeah, yeah, yes. He, he, he even lets out a moo at, when he reaches the station. It's, I, I mean, like I'm, I'm glad that they at least, uh, you know, kept it alive. Yeah, I, I wonder how though, and also how is the bull so placid? I mean, if I were an animal trapped in a box and then I suddenly had all this soil, you know, wash all over the top of me, I'd be furious. I'd be wanting to get out of there. I'd be you know, kicking the doors down. And it's no small bull. Like, I mean, the bull takes up the full size of the cattle truck. It's a big boy. It's got horns as long as your arm and a ring as big as your head. Yes. Like, I mean, it's a wooden cattle truck. Hmm. This guy is ready to break through it at a moment's notice. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but for ratings, for ratings... Yeah, yeah. So now that I've raised that point, I will gift this story with a 5.5 out of 10. Mm. Solid 5.5. I like it slightly better than Emily's new coaches, but again, there's just too many inconsistencies in here that I I just can't overlook, and it's really frustrating for me. Mm. Uh, For me, I'm going to rank it slightly higher than you, a 6.5. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel they've absolutely nailed the dreary grey atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That that's just it feels to me like a late autumn, early winter kind of thing. One of the days where you look outside and you just feel dread in your heart already. Mm-hmm. And whilst there are inconsistencies throughout it all, it, it's still got some really nice sort of prop work. You know, they have buried Thomas in soil. They've got some mm-hmm. shots late at night where Percy's looking for him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like it better than Emily's new coaches, but it, it still doesn't hit that sweet spot for me. So yeah, 6.5. Denim. <sighs> this episode does not do much for me at all. Um, it's very marmite in comparison. Um, the story lacks much substance, and because of that, I don't really care for Thomas at all. Um, and, like, the the way that it's it's written doesn't make me care much for Percy or the Fat Control as well. The, the language of the story doesn't grab me. It's so short-ended. So for me, it's a one. One? Yeah. That, that is our lowest score given out to date. Yeah. I no, think... I have given a zero. Mm. Have you? Yeah. What for? For make someone happy. Do you gave that? Oh, yeah. Gee, I, I, I'd forgotten about that. No, no, Holy no. I, I haven't, especially because I really like that episode, but that's fine. <laughs> it does nothing for me as does this one Ooh. well hopefully the next story does something for you Denim but before that we need to go through our musical interlude and Parry what is it well this week in light of the 7th series that we're covering we are going to highlight a song Five New Engines in the Shed because there are three new engines being introduced this series on top of the two that were introduced last. And this particular song is an instrumental cover done by EJ Rocks, and it's got a bit of an orchestral sound to it. So I think that all of our listeners will appreciate this one.
Welcome back to the Right on Track podcast. This is episode 51. You just heard EJ Rox's uh, orchestral delightful cover of Five New Engines in the Shed, pretty much with the anthem for Series 7. And what a way to begin. So far, we have reviewed the pretty good uh, episode that is Emily and the New Coaches. And then we had the, in my opinion, the more lackluster Percy gets it right. But I feel things could be looking up as we head towards the final episode of this review. Connor, what is that episode? Well, we are once more going to be introduced to another new character, this being the little uh, traction engine called Fergus. Uh, And in Bill Ben and Fergus, the name of this story that we're looking into, we're going to have Fergus being warned by Thomas about... The Mischievous Twins. Fergus, a small railway traction engine, works on the island of Sodor. One day he was on his way to the quarry. He had a special job to do for the Fat Controller. Hello, whistled Thomas. Where are you going? To the quarry, Fergus chuffed happily. Watch out for the twins, said Thomas. They love to make mischief. I won't let young rascals rattle me. You don't know the twins like I do, warned Thomas. Ah, Fergus. He has no idea what he's in for. Oh, he's doomed. He's so Mm. naive. Like, I I won't be surprised if at some random point in the future, the twins are going to try and do something to get back at him, only to meet the consequences of their own actions for Fergus just to jump in and try and save them but end up covered in rock and debris. But, like, that's just hypothetical. Connor, Connor, it sounds suspiciously like, to me, like you've seen this episode before. And, and, and like, honestly, that's the entire synopsis of it. Yep, that's it. Yeah. Well, Bruin, thank you guys for coming. (laughs) No, 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 no. We're still going to talk about it. So, in Bill, Ben and Fergus... Fergus is sent to work at what I'm assuming is Center Isle Quarry uh, to work with Bill, Ben, and Mavis as the importance of another engine grows more. We saw Salty go there last season when the the busy period was at stake and now it's at stakes again and they invite Fergus along to help. Yes. Now, Fergus, very interesting character. Uh, He is a small Royal Blue painted Aveling and Porter Railway traction engine. Uh, Very similar to Trevor the traction engine, except he runs on rails. Mm. Uh, And he's especially got a direct real-world basis, uh, the TJ-class engine called Blue Circle. Yeah, what's great about Fergus is that his real-life counterpart looks exactly like him, even down to the livery. Yeah, exactly like Blue Circle. It like it, it's just taking a direct copy of an engine into the show, and at this point we haven't had that yet. We we've had no. you know engines based off of classes and so on, but I believe this is the first time, apart from the tenders of Flying Scotsman, that we've had yeah. a direct. This singular engine here is the basis. Is the 110% true basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, he goes to work at the quarry with Mavis, Bill and Ben, who, whilst originally they were at different places, they're now at the same place. And that is when Fergus sort of receives his catch line, do it right. Yeah, it's, it's... Peculiar, this story, because, I mean, we're being introduced to Fergus and he's great and all, but Bill and Ben, like, they've gone from being mischievous to being sort of mean-spirited and sinister. Like, similar to what happened in Salty Secret, it's almost as though they don't want help from any outsider and they'll do everything within their power to make sure that they fail. And that just, to me, having grown up watching, you know, series two stories like the disease or in series three stories like heroes it just doesn't seem it doesn't fit with their character 
from my perspective. No, I, I, I get, like, I mean, mm. they are still being cheeky and mischievous, but in the past, it was always, you know, oh, we'll, we'll make fun of Gordon and say we'll dump him into the sea. Hmm. But we won't actually do anything. Or yes. we'll just all bump these trucks around a bit. Hmm. But here, they are going out of their way to interfere with with, with Fergus. They full-on trap hmm. him into sidings when they move trucks around. They just bump things about and tell him off for it. And then eventually, uh, when there is some blasting going on in the quarry, he tells the twins, hey, you know... This is dangerous. Wait for the all-clear signal. Do it right. And at that point, they just seem fed up of Mm. working with him. So when they go to the docks to fetch a new rock crusher, they, they have the idea that the next time he tells them to do it right, they'll do it wrong. He, 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 he. They do a weird little giggle there. So then when he tells them, hey guys, that rock face is unstable, don't go near it, do it right. They push and bump and rock the heavy machine. Mm. So much so that it actually makes the rock face begin to collapse. Mm. And there's a great effect they do with the camera where they get it to vibrate as the twins are going past with the rock crusher, which yeah. I like. You know, making it actually feel big and mm. heavy. Hmm. Um, now I I would like to know Just a little side background thing here But before the actual landslide itself uh, The quarry has received a bit of a makeover Once more mm-hmm. uh, With the inclusion of a little bridge in the background mm-hmm. and to, to make the scene seem more busy They typically have engines running over the back of it uh, Such as we mm-hmm. see Percy Such as we see Ariel Burt. And then mm-hmm. we also see a mysterious crimson tank engine cross it we at one point. Do. Uh, and, you know, we, do. I'm, I'm, we don't know who this engine is yet, but they exist. And you'll hear our thoughts on them in the future. Uh, but something mm. I'd like to flag there that a character that hasn't been introduced, Arthur. Has already made an appearance, but yes, ah, the, the twins. It's very much a Percy takes the plunge syndrome. Yes, with Diesel rolling by. I was wondering who you're referring to there. It's like Crimson Engine. Who, who's Connor talking about? And and then the, suddenly you said the name. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I was referring to when Bill and Ben appear a few episodes early. Oh yes, also in Percy takes the plunge. Mm. Yeah, but I can I can understand why Ari and Bert could potentially be there. There may be not much work for them at the smelters, so they're repurposed in quarries, which we do later see as well. Yep. Um, but yes, as the as the rock face begins to crumble, the twins seem to freeze in fright, and then Fergus charges in and pushes Bill, Ben, and the Rock Crusher well out of the way, and he is then covered. In debris from funnel to wheel. Mm. Um, and a, a, a there's sort of a legend. <clears throat> Sorry, allow me to reset that. There's sort of a legend around this accident because allegedly, after the events of this episode. Uh, Fergus's model uh, was damaged. Ooh. Uh, so it could still run, but the flywheel could no longer turn. Ooh. Which is a potential theory as to why he didn't appear after Series 7. Ah, yes, I wanted to raise this point as well, because Fergus only appears in this series. Like, not even in the CGI series. The only time we see Fergus no. is in Series 7. Hmm. And, like, I mean, he isn't much of a... I, I wouldn't say that he's uninteresting. Mm. 
But he, he's very much a bit like a, an, an Edward character. Mm-hmm. I would disagree. I'd, oh? I'd, I'd, I'd say he's more fleshed out than Emily. I, I'd um, agree there. Uh, oh, I'd definitely say, say he's more... Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 think, I think he has a... Uh, if anything, is something that Edward doesn't have. He has a bit of a a, uh, a black and white, almost stubborn kind of approach. Fair. Nah, he 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 definitely is his own character. Um, but uh, another thing is, he's such a marketable, very character. marketable. Yes. Oh yeah. Like he he's got a really unique shape, a really pleasing look, and. If you've got the flywheel, I've got a wooden railway Fergus. And the little flywheel spins. And that's my favourite thing about it. Like, the things spin and turn, and it's really interesting. So, he's a marketable character, and then they don't make use of him after this, and it could be because that the flywheel was Mm. damaged. Which is understandable, because a lot of rock falls down on him. And then the twins feel sorry and they help clear away the wreckage. We can sleep easy at night knowing that the model has been preserved and is operatable again. Yes. Yes, it is operatable. Um, one thing to note about Fergus, though. Now, like, I mean, I, I don't know how heavy Bill and Ben are or the inclusion of the Rock Crusher. But is Fergus really... Enough to shake the ground. Yeah, yeah. Is Fergus really that strong to push all of them out of the way that quickly? Mm, I often ponder this question when watching this story. Like, how is it that a tiny little traction engine like Fergus has enough torque and enough force to propel not only Bill and Ben, but this huge machinery forward and out of the way in such a short space of time? I'd say it's also down to the engine drivers as well. With Bill and Ben's driver and fireman in their cabs, it could just be a matter that they still have enough steam, their brakes are released, uh, so that could be a contributing factor to them moving forward as well. Yes, certainly could like have been helped, but throughout the entire time that we see Bill and Ben push the rock crusher, they seem to be pushing with all their might and it's still shaking the ground and they're not going overly fast. Mm. However, it's as soon as Fergus goes and pushes them. Like, I mean, I can certainly understand maybe with the flywheel he's got more torque than them, but he certainly shouldn't be able to push it faster than them. Mm. Oh, it's weird. Um, but yeah, there, there is one more little tidbit I'd like to share. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's not the best. Uh, this is the last appearance of Bill and Ben until series nine, Thomas's new trunks. Last appearance. So they're Mm -hmm, they're not mm -hmm. even too much of a main character. So... Yeah, after this, we won't be seeing from them for a whole other series. Mm-hmm. But, Parry, Denim? They were supposed to be in Thomas to the Rescue. Yes, but sadly weren't. The deleted scene can be seen in Calling All Engines. Yes. So, Parry, Denim, yes. ha- have you guys got anything else to add to this episode? Uh, Only Bill is written by Brian Truman. Yes. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And the previous story was written by Paul Larson. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was. I'm, I'm, I, I thought I'd say, I thought I'd said that. No, I don't think you did. No? Oh, no. My, my, my apologies. One subtlety I, I do like is that this overall aesthetic of this episode, particularly The Quarry, has a bit of a series three atmosphere mm, yeah. to it, and this is particularly personified by the in that quarry mm. setting. We didn't see it in series six, but I think the return of that kind of flavor and aesthetic is very welcome here. I, I think the reason why this quarry looks a little more series three is that it isn't as open as the one in series six. 
It's a bit mm. tighter. It's also because they use the same cliffs. Mm. Bit bit tighter, bit but those very tall ones. Yeah. More cramped, more claustrophobic. So does that leave us with ratings? I believe it does. Why don't you lead us off, Connor? Uh I'm gonna give it a eight. Ooh. Denim? Yeah, I do enjoy a good Bill and Ben episode, and I think this is one of them. Nice to see them interact with a newbie and to see Mavis in there as well. I did like the sequence. We didn't touch on it much, but I did like the sequence where we just had Fergus and Mavis working in the quarry for like a good portion of the mm-hmm. episode. That was nice. Um, mm-hmm. It's only a few shots, but yeah, it's nice. Yeah, a good ending, uh, nice resolution. I'm going to give it a nine. Ooh. Ooh. Do, do, do you want to make it higher, Parry? Um, <laughs> as much as I'd like to, I can't. Because I did this story, like, it, it just doesn't do it for me. I think that Bill and Ben are too antagonistic. Uh, I mean, the mm. sets are nice, and I do like Fergus. But, yeah, th- this story, it just... No, it, it doesn't do a lot for me, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to give it a four out of ten. Oh, wow. Ooh. That's an interesting mm. contrast. It, again, it, it comes down to Bill and Ben. I mean, if they had to characterise them differently or written them slightly differently and they weren't just such, the, to, to put it bluntly, jerks, then I think um, I'd appreciate it more. Mm. Uh, one interesting set of episodes that we've covered today. Because we all mm. agreed that Emily's New Coaches was a bit, yeah. And, and, and then for... Percy gets it right. We, we've had Denim give the shocking low score of one, and then here yes. Bill Bain Fergus, he gave it a four. Mm. But but it's very here and there. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a sign of things to come for series seven? Ooh, Are we going to have a lot of these? Yeah, different scores with, that we yeah. give all these episodes. How divided will we get? Yeah. Um, but. I'm afraid that's all that we've got time for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll return next uh, episode covering three more episodes, including, surprisingly, a narrow gauge episode. Yes, it'll be our oh. first of this series, and unusually they're putting it right towards, of course, series five and six. They sort of pushed them towards the end of the run. Yeah, but uh, what will these three episodes be, Parry? Well, uh, the narrow gauge story is The Old Bridge. We'll be covering that one first up, followed by Edward's Brass Band and What's the Matter with Henry? I don't know. Well, you'll find out. Don't you worry. Oh, good. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) In the meantime, you can catch us on all of our social medias on Twitter at OnTrackThomas. Instagram, T-T-T-E underscore right on track. Our Facebook page by heading to facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast, all one word. You've got our website, right on track forward slash podcast. And you can send us an email if you like at right on track Thomas podcast at gmail.com. We'll return in episode 52, but until that time comes, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. And I'm still Denim. And this has been the Run on Track Podcast. Adios, guys. Cheerio.